The message from God's Word is from Psalm 23. If you remember, we're actually going through the book of 1 Samuel. We're pausing every time we reach a place in Samuel where David is writing a psalm, potentially. And we're going to look at that psalm. So we'll be bouncing back and forth between Samuel and Psalms. So what's just happened in 1 Samuel 16? Uh, we see David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king, but he's a young boy. He's really nobody. His father had even forgotten to bring him to the meeting. Uh, he's a shepherd. But the neat thing is that out of his experience as a shepherd, we have so much wonderful truth in the scriptures, including Psalm 23. Um, in Psalm 23, not only do we see God's care of David, but God's care of each of us because Jesus Christ himself is the good shepherd. He calls himself the good shepherd. So we're going to read Psalm chapter 23. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? This is inspired by the Holy Spirit for you tonight. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you once again. We pray that you would open our eyes to truth. We pray that your spirit would work in our hearts. That you strike a straight blow with this crooked stick. In Jesus' name, amen. So I believe, like Martin Luther, that the pronouns are very important in Scripture, especially in this particular psalm. Pronouns. God isn't just a shepherd. He is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. If anyone else made me lie down, it wouldn't be good. He leads me. He restores me. He is with me. His rod comforts me. His staff comforts me. He anoints my head. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will. And the central truth, I think, that binds all of this together is what we read in verse 4, that you are with me. You are with me. I could not help but think of Alfred Lord Tennyson's The Charge of the Light Brigade when we're talking about the valley of the shadow of death. He wrote this poem during the Crimean War to commemorate the charge of 600 light cavalry soldiers the 4th and 13th Light Dragoons, the 17th Lancers, the 8th and 11th Hussars, all made up the Light Brigade, 600 horsemen. They're called the Light Brigade because they're light cavalry, fast horses, lightly armored. They don't have big weapons. They just have swords and pistols usually. 
The light brigade was mistakenly ordered to charge through a long, mile-long valley to destroy the Russian artillery at the other end of it. And the Russians are on the heights on both sides. So with Russian forces on both sides of them and in front of them, they run all the way down there, do what they can to the guns, turn around and run all the way back. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to read the first two stanzas because you see that Tennyson is pulling from Psalm 23 when he writes some of this, describing the charge. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charged for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply. Theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. And he goes on to describe this disastrous charge. They lost about 50% of the 600. Less than 300, I believe, made it back. Most of the horses, some of them walked back. The horses, a lot of them were killed. So Tennyson wrote the poem to honor their bravery, but also to cause a little bit of anger in the reader. The planning was bad. The communication was horrible. The purpose, why all the wasted life? What was the point? So there's wonder that they actually completed the charge. They achieved their goal. They made it to the guns. They scattered the gunners. But then they had to turn around and come all the way back. A horrible valley of death. And nobody knew why they charged into this valley of death. No one understood it. But theirs wasn't to reason why. Theirs was but to do and die. And they just went. But it was clear that someone had blundered. Someone in leadership had messed up what had happened. Well, the contrast with the valley of death that David is talking about is there are many. Here David talks about the Christian walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Either meaning actual death. And or just dark times in life, probably both. But there are many differences between our walk through the valley and the charge of the light brigade through their valley of death. We also walk through many dangerous valleys in our lives. You are probably thinking of some that you have walked through or are walking through right now, some dangerous, dark valleys. This isn't surprising. This is the human condition. And indeed, our Lord has said that in this world, we would all have trouble. But unlike the light brigade, we can be certain that no matter how confusing or how painful or how violent the attack of the enemy, no one has blundered. No one has made a mistake. All is being accomplished according to the plan of our sovereign God, who is very good and loves you. In fact, he's leading you through this valley. So the valley of the shadow of death means something very different to a Christian than it might mean to the rest of the world. Because he leads us there, that's our first point. And secondly, he protects and trains and comforts us there. He leads us there and he protects, trains, and comforts us there because he's a good shepherd. 
So we read that he is the one leading us there. When you read verse 3 where David says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, that sounds really good, doesn't it? I like paths of righteousness. I want to become more righteous, more godly. I want to love my Savior more and live more like him. Well, how do you get that path of righteousness? You're going to have to follow him through dark valleys. You see, David was a good shepherd. And good shepherds don't leave anything about the journeys of their sheep to chance. So here's what would happen in the summertime in the Middle East and other places where it's really hot in the summer. During the summer, they lead their sheep up into the mountains where the weather is more temperate, cooler, and the grass is green. But to get up to that height, they have to go through valleys. They have to go through difficult terrain. But to get up to the higher pasture is important because that's where the good grass is. They can't overgraze just the lowlands, and plus it's getting hot. So when the shepherd is going to take his sheep up there, he leaves nothing to chance. He knows the route. He'll leave his sheep with an, uh, an alternate shepherd while he goes and scouts the route out. He knows everything on the route, the dangers of the terrain, the difficulty of the trail, the ruggedness of the valley. He knows the distance from water at each stage of the route. But most of all, he knows the condition of the flock and of each particular individual sheep. That's me and you. He knows the predators. He knows the timing And how much the flock can endure to get to those higher pastures that are so necessary for their growth and their survival. He knows that when they get up through the valley, the flock will be stronger and healthier once they're on those higher pastures. Once they have good grazing. It's also to the benefit of the health of the flock and the sheep to endure and to survive the journey to the mountain pasture. So the path of righteousness where he leads will include valleys. It must. Certainly, David is thinking of his own time as a shepherd when he wrote this. Certainly, he knows that there are dark valleys that are required to lead the sheep where they need to be. So let's look at this particular phrase, the valley of the shadow of death. Have you ever thought about that phrase? Because it's interesting. He doesn't say the valley of death like Tennyson did. He says the valley of the shadow of death. Shadow of death is just one single Hebrew word. Salmavet is the way it's pronounced. It just means gloom or deep shadow or death shadow, something like that. Here's some other places where this word is used. Job 16, 16. Just so you get an idea, a sense of what David's saying. My face is red with weeping. Again, this is Job talking. My face is red with weeping, and on my eyelids is deep darkness. That's that word, salmavet. On my eyelids is this deep gloom shadow, this death shadow. Job 38. This is God talking. 38.17. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? That's the word, deep darkness. Speaking of death itself. 
Then in Psalm 107, it's used twice, verses 10 through 14. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. So this is kind of the the thought that I want you to have. When you read, he leads me, um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, excuse me, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is a place that he is leading you and he's leading you there. To either train or discipline or strengthen you for your further service. And like in Psalm 107, it may be to reveal the sin in your life. It may be for just his own training purposes. Regardless, it feels the same. You're in a dark valley. So one of the good things I want you to, to really grasp on is when you do feel like you are in a valley in life, This is not a coincidence. Brother, sister, this is not a random act. It's not an angry God or an uncaring God who has put this trouble in your life or this dark valley that you're walking. These are loving paths planned from all eternity for your strengthening, for your good, and he's the best of shepherds. He knows this route well. It's for your health and for your good to lead you to greener pastures on spiritual mountains. If you speak to anyone who has suffered long term with a physical ailment and they're in Christ, very, very rarely do you hear anyone spurn that sickness as if it were something horrible. Most often they embrace it and they say, God has made me who I am because of it. For the Christian, we can affirm that even the most horrible paths have a redeeming and sanctifying value because our shepherd doesn't make this make any mistakes. So when I'm talking like this, there's a danger that you might think I'm saying these words just very lightly, like I don't really understand real suffering. And yet I'm able to preach this this word because I've never had to experience what you've had to experience. And I don't say this lightly at all. I may not have suffered what you've suffered. I know that there is horrible pain and terrible things in the world. But I also know my God. He's a good shepherd. He's not the author of evil, and he does all things for his own glory and his own purposes. Remember Joseph? What a horrible, horrible life up to the point where he was raised up to Pharaoh's assistant. What a horrible life from man's perspective. And what did he tell his brothers? You didn't send me here, but God did. And even the sins of man are not apart from God's providential care. The most unjust, cruel, and horrible things that man can do to man, that's not apart from God's providence. He's not the author of evil, certainly, but he uses everything for his own glory. How can you say that, Pastor? Well, look at his own son. 
The most unjust, cruel, and horrible crime of all eternity was the crucifixion of the perfect, spotless Son of God. At the hands of some murderous men. And then he also bore the wrath of his Father for our sake. And yet Jesus embraced the cross. He called it his glory. Why is that? It was the Father's will to crush him. Why did he embrace it? Because he loved his Father and he knew that it was for a glorious purpose for all eternity. Acts 2.23, this Jesus, Peter says, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see, God doesn't take responsibility for the sin of these men, but he certainly takes responsibility for the definite plan and foreknowledge of the events that brought our salvation. So the application, I think, is clear. Your, your life is going to be filled with difficult times. Not always. But often it will be dark and dangerous. And some of you are in a dark, dangerous place right now. You feel like you're barely holding on in some aspect of your life. Or maybe you feel like you've wandered away completely from the flock of God. Maybe you've experienced the death of a loved one or the rejection of a friend or experiencing some financial hardship or just some overwhelming stress or depression that is weighing on your soul due to some life change or some terrible memory. Maybe you're in horrible physical pain or suffering. I'm here to tell you, no matter what is going on, you have a good shepherd and he loves you. No matter what the trial is, no matter how closely that shadow of death is pursuing you, Wherever valley you are walking through, you can be certain that it is God who has led you there for his own glory and for your good. Why do we know this? Because he's a good God and he loves you. He loves you. And this is a love that never changes. Do you realize that? His love for you isn't great when you're obedient and then it just shrinks to nothing when you're disobedient. If he has put his love on you, it is love that never changes because God never changes. It's immutable, it's eternal, it's unchangeable. Because that's our God. Don't believe these lies that when you fail, God's love for you has shrunk to nothing. That is not the case. He loves you. He welcomes you. He may discipline you. But He loves you and welcomes you with open arms. He's adopted you as a son, as a daughter. My favorite use of This Hebrew word that's translated shadow of death is in Amos chapter 5 verse 8 where Amos is talking about all of the things God's created. He mentions Orion and Pleiades. He says that God is the one who can turn deep darkness or the shadow of death into the morning. It's beautiful. For us, for David, it's the same. God is the one who can bring light out of darkness. Ex tenebris lux, out of darkness, light. So I think we all probably understand that this is true. These are truths. These are biblical truths. We all get it. But there's a problem. We don't always feel it. We don't always feel like it's true. When life is overwhelming, you sometimes feel rejected by God. You feel unloved. You feel forgotten. You feel like the light brigade running through the valley. Wondering what is going on. Who sent us on this mission? 
This feels hopeless, not knowing if, if you're going to survive or even while you're, while you're there or if anyone cares. Sometimes we all feel that way. What do you do? You return to what's true. You return to the word of God. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism defines providence in a way that encompasses everything in life. God has it in his hands. I also like the Heidelberg. Although it's not our confession, it's still wonderful. The first question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He owns you. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil and preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, And makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's my comfort in life and in death and in everything in between. And all of these truths can be discerned from Psalm 23. If you haven't memorized Psalm 23, it's one of the ones you should start with. It's easy to memorize and you should do it. It will comfort your soul. When times are good, it's good to remember. But when times are difficult, when you're suffering... The Holy Spirit will apply this to your soul in a very special way. So much so that you can say with David, I fear no evil. So that's the first point. He leads you there. Why does he lead you there? For higher pasture, but on the route of the valley of the shadow of death. Secondly, he also protects and trains and comforts you there. He's with you. Notice he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You've probably heard lessons about how a shepherd uses a rod and how he uses a staff. The rod of the shepherd was for protection and training. Protection in that if there's a predator, he's using this this rod to beat away the predators. But also to prod slow sheep, kind of move on, get up. Or to correct a bullying sheep. To defend his flock, he uses the rod. He also uses the rod for our own good sometimes. He disciplines us when we need it. He watches over us during the discipline, which feels like a valley, a dark valley at times. But it will have a desired outcome. Because he's so good, one should remember that there's not a single ounce of suffering more than is required to achieve God's holy purpose for you that he will apply to your life. His glory is going to be enhanced more and more and his sheep are going to be strengthened for future service so we can see that he is protecting and training and comforting you there even as he led you to the valley. But also we see that he has a staff. The staff is different. It's used for support. It's used kind of to lift to help, maybe to steady a sheep in difficult terrain, to get them over obstacles. It's used for their good. He's protecting and training and comforting his sheep throughout 
their journey. I had to come back to Heidelberg 27 and 28 just because I love it. Hear this word. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, Indeed, all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand, so we can be patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have firm confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. What a comfort! That is. And if it's not a comfort at this moment, now's the time to learn these truths so that when you find yourself feeling overwhelmed by life, you can remember that God is with you. And that's the conclusion. He's with you. This is what makes us most satisfied in difficulty. This is why we can take courage in the valley of the shadow of death and not fear any evil. It's because He is with us. This is what David says, in the darkest valley, he will fear no evil because he's with us. The shepherd is with us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's our shepherd. That's our God. Even when you feel like he's not there, he is. He will not forsake you. He will never abandon you. He's not a shepherd who runs, but he's a shepherd who stands. He's a shepherd who fights. Deuteronomy 31, just a few examples. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. It is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. John 14, 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper helper to be with you forever. Matthew 28, 20. The last words of Matthew, of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Behold, I am with you always, Jesus said to the end of the age. In Ezekiel 34, we see probably the most beautiful picture outside of Psalm 23 of our shepherd. Ezekiel 34, verse 11 through 16. Just let these words, just wrap yourself up in them like a blanket. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, on rich pastures they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. 
I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Even Ezekiel references Psalm 23 when he describes the work that Christ will do for his people. So we can say with David, if you understand these truths, that we fear no evil. And the presence of our shepherd is our greatest comfort. He is with you. He is in you. He is everywhere. And nothing happens apart from his will. Whatever valley you're in today or wherever he may lead you in the future, no one has blundered. It's all good because it's God and he loves you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy, for your love, for your grace. We deserve nothing from you but wrath. And yet we have your favor, your unmerited favor. You have applied your love to us for no other reason than you love us. You've given us so much. you blessed us beyond measure. Lord, open our eyes to catch a glimpse of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. May we fix our eyes on Jesus and see clearly the great work you've done. May you protect and guide and train us. May you forgive our sins and draw us close. Lord, discipline us with your rod and your staff. Comfort us. We pray in Jesus' name that in our hearts you would be our God and we would be your people for all time. We would see this, we would know it, and that it would be balm for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.